Maya. Welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news on politics, tech, and pop culture. We're back. We're back. <laughs> Hello, Margie. It's, I've missed you so much. I know. I've missed you, too. It took us, we should say, a good 20 minutes to remember how to set the show up, but I'm very <laughs> glad we did, so far at least. Bless you, Producer glad. Richard, for helping us remember how to ride a bike. Yes. <laughs> Right. Speaking of bikes, that's the main way I have kept in contact with Margie during the pandemic is I got one of those Pelotons. <laughs> finally, yes. finally, yes. I have joined the cult and I was extremely reluctant to share my username with anyone because I lead an extremely sedentary lifestyle and like follow me on Instagram. Do not follow me on my exercise equipment. Um, right. But I, I did reach out and found out what Margie's name was and so she's one of my like four Peloton friends and you can when you're riding the bike it's great if you love data because you get all kinds of data about how you're doing throughout the ride at the end of the ride and you can see oh if you're riding along the same ride that a friend has done you can see how fast were they going or how much energy had they produced at various points in the ride and I started out and I'm in doing a ride that like Margie's also doing or had done. I don't remember if you were like live in that moment. But all of a sudden, yeah. within like 30 seconds, her output is like three times what mine was. And I'm like, what is happening? Is my bike <laughs> broken or is Margie Superwoman? And it turns out it's the latter. No, it takes a while to not feel like your bike is broken because I've had it for several years. And the first few years, you're like, my bike is broken. And then you go online and it's just like a bunch of people who have also just gotten their bike are like, why is my bike broken? And everyone's like, no, you're just slow. And so it, it just takes a while. You're not slow, but it just takes a while to like get used to. And I'm like, you know, it just takes a lot of like, dedicated effort and uh, persistence to get there. But um, but I'm glad that that is your best pandemic purchase. It is what a very common one. What were your best pandemic one. purchases? Mine were a little, since I already had a Peloton, I was, mine were very small and modest, but brought me an incredible amount of joy. So the first one, and this is not something I would have, like, I don't even know what possessed me. I'm like, I need to dye the ends of my hair purple. I don't know why it is happening now. It has got to happen right away. And I bought like an $8 bottle of purple hair dye and all the kids in the neighborhood came running. We did it outside and I was like, let my kids do the ends. Like, I mean, like, I don't know what happened to me. I didn't bleach the ends. It wasn't really very, very dramatic. But um, like I know one of the eight-year-olds was like, oh, I have this same <laughs> bottle of hair dye. You know? like, <laughs> like, right, I am, <laughs> this is what I am like, right there, I have the same, uh, you know, an eight-year-old is my fashion icon because, and she is a very stylish eight-year-old. It was just that, like, I had this, this burning desire to, like, take some dramatic action, which is fine. And then, like, a scale from all my various sourdough experiments, like all of my various, like, sourdough cake, sourdough, chocolate cake, sourdough, carrot cake, sourdough breads of all various stripes, sourdough hamburger buns, and cr like the whole everything, whatever, whatever you can make. I went through the whole thing and having a scale makes it a little bit better. So those two purchases brought me an incredible amount of joy. I feel like at the beginning of this pandemic, uh, shortly after we had said goodbye to the pollsters, that was like everybody was really into baking. 
Everyone was really into Tiger King. We missed the whole Tiger King national discourse yes. on this podcast, but we don't have to go back and revisit it. it what's done is done. She's, we can it, talk about Nexium. We can just pick right up where that left off. <laughs> I have not yet watched The Vow, so I, I have less to add, but I understand this is a very big interest of yours. Yes, I'm glad that all the... Um, you know, I hope the victims feel like they've gotten some justice because Keith, anyway, this is not like I could really talk a lot about it, but I'm glad the guy got sentenced to life in prison because he really deserved to deserve to do it. Now, it didn't I, sound great. He, he was he was bad news. Now, what I in more lighthearted news, the like the Zoom Zoom drama, like Zoom bombs for my children. Now, that is a regular occurrence. I don't know how many other people feel, you know. I'm sure like most of the listeners have seen my kids in the back of the Zoom if they've been on a call with me. But like it has been such it is such a constant thing. I can't I don't see nearly as many other kids in people's backgrounds as I like I feel like it's inevitable. Like it's like turn it on and somehow they come running. And so it happens pretty regularly. But the funniest time was my eight year old came in and she said, um, I'm having some Wi-Fi issues. I'm like, sure, sit on the couch. You can put on your headphones and the couch in my office. And then, uh, then I'm on the phone with my office, and my five-year-old comes in with his iPad. He's like, he's on school Zoom, and he said, "Can I? Um, I'm having some issues." And I try to like help him with whatever his thing was, and then I just kind of like mumble to the office, like, "God, we're all zooming our balls off here." And the, and the teacher. <laughs> my son's class was like, so I hear we found you, you found your mom. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm like, what? This is bad. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think this is how it's supposed to go. <laughs> but thankfully, the five-year-olds, all the five-year-olds did not catch the joke the way the teacher did. But I was like, oh, God. Even now, I'm embarrassed. But anyway, so that's what's going on. How have your Skype room ratings been, Kristen? So I do not get rated by Rate My Skype Room because I believe this Rate My Skype Room person is not conservative, does not like conservatives particularly, and certainly does not watch Fox News. And I am a an exclusive contributor to Fox News, so I don't actually think I've been room rated yet. Now, I'm aware that there is someone who is room rated who has the same Lego Saturn V rocket that I do, and that oh. has received rave reviews in Rate My Skype Room Land. So I would like to just absorb their good grade by proxy. Okay. And I would also like to say for the record, and you're my you're my my source on this, or my you're my witness on this. That rocket and all those tchotchkes on my desk in my house, they lived there. That's yeah. not like a thing I moved there as a shtick during the pandemic. Like that's no. just what my office has always looked like. Now, as yeah. of the last week, I have moved some more tchotchkes to that spot. A Dwight Schrute bobblehead, like a couple things, but the the BB-8 and the Wally robot yes. and the rocket, that's just been their home. And I will tell you, it's nice because normally you get hate mail you go on TV and instead I get a lot of people that had like space is very important to them or they want to know about this rocket or like their kids saw oh, BB-8 nice. and they were like oh my gosh my grandchild loves you because they were at my house while I was watching Fox News Sunday and they want to know what BB-8's up to like so it's it's been kind of nice I think seeing people's like personal 
stuff. You get a more uh, you get a more three dimensional view of the people who are giving you their hot takes. That's sweet. I think that's nice that someone would shoot you a note to want to talk about space and Legos. That seems oh, so. Yes. That seems so pure. I have been room raided in part, I think, because Room Raider lives in Tacoma Park. I don't know Room Raider. There are two Room Raiders. I don't know the the Tacoma Park Room Raider, but he lives in Tacoma Park. And it is my understanding that he is one of the many people in Tacoma Park who has whimsical public art, whether it's street art, curb art, yard art, car art. It is my understanding that the person who drives a van that is painted like that mystery machine, the Scooby-Doo mystery van, um, is Room Raider. That's like, I didn't make this up. This is on the Tacoma Park Facebook page. So I think it is, you know, oh, obviously, therefore, that's where I go for my, all my news. But um, but so anyway, so he is a local Tacoma Park, um, you know, person. And that is, I think, part of why I got a, a, a good room grade which i was very pleased about um, well you you gave me a tacoma park mug for christmas many years ago and i feel like now that i know that i should put it in my tchotchke shelf to give me maybe like a half of a bonus point should this gentleman ever choose to turn on the fox news channel and in the event that i happen to be on when he is watching yes i feel like that's unlikely but you know we'll see you can dm them a, a thing too <laughs> Oh, I'm good. That is I'm a good. Thing. I'm good. <laughs> that is the thing. If you want, <laughs> if you want the, you know, anyway, yes. But it's funny because people do, right? They're like, what about, you know, where did you get those glasses? Anyway, it's a fun, it's a fun thing. And that somehow is not the, any of the Zooms where my kids have barged in. I have told them, I said, if you come in while I'm doing television, you better come in with an act ready to go worldwide. Okay. That is the only way you were allowed in. And they're like, what if there's a fire? What if all of our legs and arms break? What, what if they come? I'm like, what if we're in our pajamas? I'm like, just, you know, just why don't you just not come in? Like, let's try that. Unless, like, you, the house is literally on fire. They're like, okay, here are some other scenarios. They're, like, full-on scenario planning. Um, okay, I guess we got to talk about these polls in this election. Yeah, so uh, before we did uh, decided to, or I guess we had decided we were going to do this show, but before we recorded it, I went back and I listened to our episode pre-election from 2016. You're cringing. I see your yeah. face through the Squadcast thing. You don't yeah. need to cringe. You don't need to cringe. It was so much less bad than I was expecting. <laughs> because in my mind, and I actually think like people have been sort of resurfacing this about themselves, not just us, but like a variety of other pundits, have been going back and revisiting like their actual, you know, late October takes. And the takes were all, hey, the po like our whole episode was about the polls are tightening. I wonder why. And us debating the merits of various theories, whether it's the Comey letter, whether it's differential enthusiasm on the part of Republicans or Democrats based on the news cycle. Like we were not dismissive of the idea that the polls were really tightening. We did think that I think like Wisconsin and Michigan were off the table, but I don't think we spent a ton of time on it. And like, look, I had some bad takes. I went on a Sunday show and I put up this is what I think the electoral map is going to be. And that is not what it was. Right. I'm pretty sure I went on Fox and Friends and looked Steve Ducey in the eye and was like, Wisconsin is not going to happen. So like, I am sure there are some bad takes out there. 
from yours truly. But our pre-election episode was actually pretty good. I was very proud of us. Oh, well, that's good. So let's try to I'm do it again. I'm still not going to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You sound so happy. Like you have no idea what's coming. You have no clue. You have no clue. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go back there. <laughs> I never remember what it was like. <laughs> uh, but I think this time around, I feel I don't want to come into this overly confident because we have all been humbled by the last four years and what we can and cannot know from the data. But with that said, uh, at Echelon Insights, we are projecting that 157 million people are going to vote this year, cool. which is an increase of over 20 million votes, I, I, depending on how you're thinking about it, because some people, they voted, but they didn't actually vote for president in 2016. But nonetheless, huge, huge, huge turnout. As of us hopping in to do this podcast, we already, we are basically halfway there. There were over 75 million votes cast already in the United States. And how did you come up with that projection? What we did at Echelon to come up with that projection is we've been doing surveys over the last year asking people about their likelihood and enthusiasm for voting, but we do all of that work based on the voter file. And we we use the like L2 voter file as kind of our basis and then like build modeling scores off of it to say, okay, who do we think is likely to vote and what percentage of likely voters or unlikely voters are actually going to turn out? And that's how we get to that number. And you can see we've got projections that we've released for like every congressional district and demographic groups and, and the whole deal. And this is a really high number. And I felt comforted then when 538 put out their projection a couple hours later and it was 154 million. I was like, Ooh, OK, well, at least if we're wrong, we're wrong with 538. <laughs> but I'm I'm feeling like at this point I might take the over, um, you know, if the line is set at 157 and we're already at 57 or pardon me, we're taping this on Wednesday night, 75 million. That's unbelievable. And a, a handful of these states like Texas is one, which you are numbers. my my favorite Texas expert. I mean, that like the entire state of Texas is going to vote the entire state. It's wild. So Texas had always been kind of underperforming in voter turnout relative to the rest of the country. And so I think that, you know, you can look at some of these projections earlier in the cycle and think, well, that would be quite something if turnout was that high. And then, in fact, it's so far it is, you know, really a surge beyond, I think, you know, what conventional wisdom might have thought, or at least it's noticeable. And I think there's been a big surge with young people, too, like in new voters. I mean, so that really is something because it's not just the presidential, which a lot of handicappers have moved to or a few handicappers, right, have moved to um, toss up, which is in and of itself something. But it's not just for the presidential. It's for the Senate and a variety of congressional races all over the state and the legislature, the House in particular. So if all those things happen or even if a couple of those things happen, that would be a huge, huge story because Democrats have been thinking about Texas and, you know, really wanting Texas to turn blue and thinking, you know, maybe today's the day for a very long time, for, you know, for a very, very long time, as long as I've been in politics. So if, if this is the time, that would be quite something. And it's it's the case that Texas has one of the youngest populations of any of the 50 states in our great union. And then the Harvard Institute of Politics poll uh, came out and they've again been studying this stuff for two decades. And they found that 
the percentage of young voters who say they are uh, definitely planning to vote in the upcoming election is at 63 percent, which is the same level it was at in the fall of 2008, the year Obama first uh, ran for president. And it is like 16 points higher than it was in fall of 2016. The reality is that young voters did not like Donald Trump, but they were not super enamored of Hillary Clinton and they were not very fired up. And a lot of them stayed home. And this time that is not going to happen, because even though I think early on in this process, you know, you could see all of these polls where young people really loved Bernie Sanders and were kind of meh on Joe Biden. They're not really meh on Joe Biden in the same way anymore. Um, in that Harvard youth poll, they found Joe Biden's uh, favorability is it's at 56 percent among young likely voters. That is, you know, a net positive of 15 points. And that's just not where Hillary Clinton ever really was with young people. So this is. For all that there are so many ways that I think this election is giving people freak out deja vu that, gosh, you know, you look at the the models and the 538 model says that Joe Biden has an 88 percent chance of winning. You look at the economist model and it says Joe Biden has a 96 percent chance of winning. And it's like, who I believe I have seen this movie before, but it is not the same movie. It is a reboot. They have changed some things this time around. One, how polls are conducted to some extent, but two, the candidates and the dynamics in the race are just different this time. And with turnout that's going to be as high as it is, there are still plenty of ways I think Donald Trump could still win, but it is not 2016 2.0. Yeah. So we'll talk about some of that in a minute, but I do after the break. But I wanted to say one thing about younger voters before we do the break. So we just released like a couple of weeks ago, a survey, a focus groups and a survey of young voters of color. So 18 to 24 year olds, API, Latinx, black voters and numbers, eligible voters across the country and with an oversample in some battleground states in Florida, Georgia and Virginia and Michigan. And um, we found so you would, you know, the conventional wisdom would be this is a group that is, you know, has a lower propensity of turning out. We showed, you know, on a zero to 10 scale how motivated they are. People said seven, which is pretty high for a group that is ultimately kind of new to the voting process. And that number was even higher in battleground states. So battleground states typically will feel kind of more motivated to vote because, you know, they're a battleground state. They're getting more communication. They have gotten, you know, they've heard that uh, their vote counts a little bit more sometimes than, than states that are not battleground states. And the issues that really matter to them are, you know, uh, really grounded in race, policing, the pandemic, feeling it personally that they are, you know, their families were at risk or their jobs were at risk really feeling that economic pressure in a real way. And astoundingly, a quarter had said that they had protested so far this year and about almost another fifth said that they planned to protest. They were likely to protest sometime before the end of the year. So this was a group that I was really quite surprised at how the like the level of political engagement, it was really quite high and quite strong. So again, that that is consistent with everything else. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll dig a little bit into what the electoral map tells us. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the big differences between what pollsters are finding in some states like Wisconsin. So stay tuned here on the pollsters. We'll be right back. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. 
A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees, and it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google/certificates. Okay, so we're back. So, you know, one of the things I don't know about you, but one of the questions I get a lot is, are the polls wrong? Are they going to be wrong, right? That question, like, can we even trust the polls this time around, right? And how could it go wrong? How could it be different from what we're seeing? Is what, you know, how do we, which is basically different ways of asking the same question. You know, people want to know desperately, are the polls right? What's, how is the game going to end? What will the score be? Can you please tell us before it happens? Can you please spoil the end of the movie for us right now? And, I think, obviously, you can't, you know, sort of know how the public polls, what's, you know, you can't always dig into a public poll because you're not there watching the data collection. You only see it kind of after the fact. But I, I do think it's worth thinking about it in two different ways, like the the composition of the electorate, how that is different from what the public polls show, and also the performance, right? So those are the two different ways, like what percent of your electorate is white or non-college educated or, you know, from this state or the, or from a rural area? How is that different from what the polls show? Um, and then the other way is what percent of them are voting for Biden or Trump compared to what the polls show? So those are the two different basic ways of thinking about it. And, you know, if we look at the public polls and say, you know, people are reporting properly what they think they're going to do, what is maybe more of a variable that, you know, different pollsters are using different ways of determining this is what percent are, you know, uh, what does party look like in each of these states? What does the electorate look like in each of these states? And the polls have been very different about this. I mean, there's been quite a bit about some Republican polls that, you know, have have what they've released and what they've said, you know, is going to happen. Um, the New York Times upshot has done public polling. There was a poll out today that showed a double digit Biden lead in Wisconsin that had people talking. I mean, what's your take? I'm sure you get these same kinds of questions. What's your take? I think the way you set it up is a good way of thinking about it. Are the polls talking to the right people? And then are the people they're talking to giving you an accurate snapshot of preference? And, you know, certainly in 2016, one of the big problems that got diagnosed was that the polls were not necessarily talking to the right people, that they were missing systematically in some of these uh, swing states, but not all, not all polls did this, but, you know, not getting enough non-college educated voters. Theoretically, that has been fixed or addressed more so this time around. But the new problem on the, hey, am I capturing the right voters question is we're in the middle of a pandemic and voter turnout is going to be sky high. In some ways, I would argue that helps pollsters because it is much harder to get it right when say you're trying to pinpoint who the voters are in an off off year runoff primary for dog catcher that like no one's going to you know participate in polling in a race like that is very hard you've got to be really savvy about who actually is going to turn out in that race where this time around it's like everybody's going to turn out in this race so in some ways projecting who will and won't turn out it's harder because it's going to be different than last time around but it's easier because the net is expanding so that is one way in which I feel at least somewhat confident in the polls, although the big X factor of this huge turnout does to me mean anything is possible, um, that, that there just are more 
tail risks in any direction of something strange going on because we are in an unprecedented situation. On the other piece about, and this often comes to me as the shy Trump voter question, there's pretty conclusive evidence that that's not actually what happened in 2016, that all of these folks that say, oh, there were shy Trumpers and we missed them, that that's not the case. It was the college education piece and it was the polls closing in the last week or two and and those last couple of days being really decisive and late breakers being the issue, which is not the same as somebody who says, oh, I know I'm voting for Trump, but I'm going to lie to a pollster or I know I'm going to vote for Trump, but I'm going to say I'm voting for Biden or I know I'm voting for Trump, but I'm going to be quiet. That's not the same as someone who genuinely doesn't know and breaks at the end. This time around, the number of undecideds is so low. The percentage of people voting for a third party candidate is so low. This race has been so stable. There isn't a lot of closing of the gap. There still could be with this you know, week we have left to go. But talking about ways this is not 2016, there's just much less. There's more room for volatility because of the sky high turnout. But there's less volatility happening in the polls. Things are not narrowing and there are not a ton of undecideds and there haven't been for months. Right. And on top of that, there are the things that you can, you know, without having polling, see how other people are responding to what clearly their polling is showing. Right. So when you see and also just the decisions, not just the presidential campaigns are making, but other races, Senate races, congressional races and so on. So when you see, you know, the Trump campaign struggling to be on the air in Florida or struggling to be on the air in some of the you know Midwestern states doing more of their visits in places they won last time. I think maybe Nevada may be one of the exceptions to that, but for the most part, you know, doing a lot of their their work in defensive places, places they need to win again as opposed to expanding the map means that, you know, there there are more routes on the Democratic side than there are on the Republican side. And of course, on top of that, you have the all the Senate races where you know, there's been an influx of low dollar donations and volunteerism and so on as a result of, uh, and, you know, leading to handicappers changing race ratings for a variety of different Senate races and House races as a result of RBG's passing and just the overall climate and and uh, Trump underperforming places where he was very strong in double digits in 16, but now is in single digits. And so all of that, you know, in all the public polling and in what the campaigns are telegraphing suggests, you know, a stronger climate that everybody's seeing the same thing. So if something is happening, it, everybody seems to be seeing kind of the same thing. I mean, obviously there are some differences, but for the most part, Public polls, what the campaigns all over the place are, are telegraphing, seem to suggest something similar. So it's not as if somebody's out there, you know, with their own set of the right exact numbers and everyone else has it wrong. Everyone seems to be saying something similar. And look, political campaigns do their own internal polls. They tend to be done by professionals who are trying to do their best, but they're not necessarily guaranteed to be right. You know, the the whole notion of Biden and Kamala Harris and company going to Georgia may wind up, if Joe Biden does not win, kind of looking like, hey, why did they send Michelle Obama to Arizona instead of sending Hillary Clinton to Wisconsin four years ago? Like there are allocation, resource allocation decisions that are getting made that are clearly signaling to us on the outside, what is the campaign seeing on the inside? That doesn't guarantee that it's right. Right. 
But it still is notable to see where campaigns are and are not putting their dollars. That speaks a lot more than what they're having their surrogates say on air and things like that. Right, right. Um, But you don't see, for example, the Trump campaign or Democrats generally saying, "Okay, Colorado is competitive or Minnesota, you know, you know, the states that would show expansion on the Republican side. Right. You don't see Republicans saying, oh, Virginia is a battleground state for the for president. Like those kinds of blue tinge swing states are now more solidly blue than they've been. Yeah. And and look, the Trump campaign, all they need to do is play adequate defense and hang on to not even all the states that they won in 2016. They could give up a Michigan and like one more here and there, depending on which one you're talking about, and still win. The question is, how many dominoes can they afford to have fall? Um, And and as we saw last time, you know, these dominoes all tend to fall together in packs based on, you know, demographic similarity. So if Florida does tip, doesn't that also mean Arizona and North Carolina are likely to flip? They're not the exact same state. Nobody's the same as Florida, let's be honest. But it's if Florida is tipping, then gosh, doesn't that mean some of these other places are too? Which is, again, part of why I find some of the investment and attention on Georgia and Texas to be a little perplexing because I understand at an emotional level how exciting it would be for Democrats to like pick up those states and like finally slay the, the dragon there <laughs> in those places. But I, I at a certain level, I'm also like, man, if I was a Democrat, I would be really ticked at every minute or dollar that they weren't spending in Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, or Florida, or North Carolina, or Arizona. Like, those are my five. You got to stay in those five states. But don't go anywhere else. What are you doing? Especially because, you know, the Texas Senate race, I don't know. It's it's not the most competitive of all the races that are out there. And the Georgia one may well get decided in the runoff down the road. You know, it's, well, I guess one of them. Anyhow, I, I just... That to me, when I'm thinking of like, okay, they are all competitive. Well, yeah, everything's competitive. (laughs) Everything's competitive. Um, But I just when I'm thinking of what what are the ways Trump could pull this off? I think one in some of these states, the polling averages are still pretty close. Yeah. While it seems as though the blue wall may be getting further and further away, uh, you know, Florida right now, the real clear politics average in Florida is tied. Like exactly tied in North Carolina. The real clear politics average is Biden by less than a point in Arizona. The real clear politics average is Biden by two points. But that's still, you know, within margin of error kind of thing. So I I again, there are plenty of ways that I can see this breaking for Trump, probably not at the popular vote level, but certainly at the Electoral College level and. I, that's I, I and I also for all that I believe shy Trump voters was not a thing in 2016. I don't completely discount it in 2020, if only because I know how much anger so many Republicans have toward pollsters. And we can talk about your poll finding about how many Republicans and Trump voters think that Trump is going to win. Like, I do think that the environment of how Republicans think about polls is different than it was four years ago. Now, blessedly, we are not hearing reports from like Patrick Murray at Monmouth, for instance. I asked him, you know, they do their polls and they're calling off of lists. And he is not seeing Republicans systematically 
not picking up the phone. You would see that in your, you know, I'm calling off a list of people. If only the Democrats are picking up, I know I'm missing Trump voters. He's not seeing that. The Republicans are just as likely to pick up. So that to me is the best evidence against the shy Trump vote. But I, I, I can't dismiss the fact that Republicans feel differently about the polls. They don't trust pollsters. They're ticked off. I don't think they are lying en masse. I do chuckle when people tweet at me and they're like, me and my six buddies all got called by pollsters and we all lied. And I'm like, statistically, it's unlikely that more than one of your buddies got called by a pollster, much less that you all lied to them multiple times. But go on. In the same way. You you do you. You do you. Um, But I, I don't fully, completely discount the idea of shy Trump voters. On the other hand, there could be shy Biden voters. So who knows? <laughs> so, I, you know, I think another thing to to think about is, you know, people are starting to think about who are the swing voters? Which are the groups that are important? How are college educated women going to vote? How are non-college women going to vote? How are non-college men, the base who, you know, they love every, you know, wild thing Trump does. What are they going to do? And so on. And I think one thing to watch is how much do those groups move compared to each other and to 16, right? Are those some some of those groups moving more leftward than their cohorts, right? So for example, or is everybody moving by a similar amount? So I was looking at like, I think it was one of the recent CNN polls, national, and the gender gap, so the difference between men and women's support for Biden was the same as it was in the 16 exits, that it was the same gender gap, just everybody had sort of moved a little bit to the left. Men were voting more Democratic, women were voting more Democrat. They were moving by the same margins. You know, another thing, Paul, I was looking at, I think it was The Economist, YouGov, had non-college white men had moved the most compared to 16 exits compared to white college educated women or non-college women or college educated men who all were moving leftward, but that white non-college male group had moved more than everybody else. And that would be kind of different than how we think about swing voters. So it's just a question of how, you know, are some people moving to the right or is everybody moving a little bit to the left and are they moving by similar amounts? Like younger people may be moving disproportionately leftward, for example. Seniors, I think, is another group that, you know, may be moving a little bit more leftward, some of them having a reaction to how Trump's been handling the pandemic. But we don't know. So we, that's, I think, part of how we should think about this, not just where they land. Oh, this group voted 50 percent or 48 percent for Trump or Biden. But how did that group move relative to their past performance and relative to everybody else in their little set of banner points? So since we just touched on the whole shy Trump voter thing, I feel like even though I was saving this for later in the show, I'll save my exit poll rant for the the back half of the show after the break, but I will fit in my mini Trafalgar rant here. Well, first, I would just like to say that if you've listened to the show, you heard my many patented Cambridge Analytica rants. And I'm so gratified that I believe it was the British government's investigative committee came to the conclusion that I was right. I'm pretty sure that's like the lead sentence in their analysis. Kristen Soltis Anderson was right about Cambridge Analytica. So I feel like I have a pretty decent track record of rants on this show. Is this going to be like, I'll be like on the SAT, like Kristen (laughs) to Cambridge Analytica is like Margie to Mark Penn. (laughs) Does that going to be like how people like, okay, I get it now. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Well, this year, a big topic that I am asked about constantly, which is always paired with the shy Trump voter question is, what do you make of 
Trafalgar Group, which yes. is a pollster that's been around. And the reality is, if you actually look at their polls from 2016, there are some states like Florida where they were not the closest to the mark. But there are other states, especially those blue wall states, where it is true they were the closest to the mark or they were well within the margin of error or what have you. So I was like, OK, let's let's like take a look and see. I, I, I don't want to dismiss this out of hand. My problem with Trafalgar Group is I do not feel like they are even remotely transparent enough about their methods. And I understand pollsters all do proprietary stuff to their data that is their secret sauce and and what have you. But like you have to have a minimum level of disclosure of how you function. And this past weekend, there were some crosstabs that were like sort of inadvertently secretly leaked from Trafalgar land that to me kind of kiboshed the idea that they are are terribly credible. Now, they could wind up being right in a, a broken clock is right twice a day kind of way. And I also do, you know, again, I don't completely dismiss the shy Trump voter, but these crosstabs that they released had things like Joe Biden winning 25 percent of Republicans. Really? I mean, just from a like uh, that, that just seems like unlikely to me. The idea that 25% of former Trump advisors. Of, of anonymous <laughs> Trump advisors. Oh. Yes. Um, Sorry. You know, you. they also have like almost 30% of Democrats voting for Trump. That okay. doesn't seem right. They have Trump winning independence by like 30. They have, I mean, what? just some of the stuff that's going on in the crosstabs looks beyond fishy. And so even if the top line number is coming out like in the ballpark of reality, if a little too Trumpy, it raises serious questions for me about what is going on behind the scenes with their weighting and sampling procedures that is leading to this kind of wackadoodle result. So that's kind of where I'm coming down on, on Trafalgar. Maybe I'll be wrong and he'll be right and he'll be the new rock star in the polling world and you and I can go find jobs doing something else. But I, I just when I see things like that, I just think, you know, it's one thing if you say I'm critical of the way current pollsters are doing their polls. Here is a very clear, different way I'm doing my methodology. I am making the following different choices and my result is different and take it or leave it. Instead of saying, I think other pollsters are wrong, therefore I'm doing secret voodoo magic to find these people that no one else is finding, but we don't really get told how or why or what, and then we get these wacko bird crosstabs that then get pulled down off the internet real fast. Like, just none of that smells right to me. So that's where I come down. Yeah, I did see, I think it was like the National Review. I don't know, somebody wrote had a story on them, and, and there were a variety of quotes that it was like, every other pollster is garbage, and so, which I always find... A bit of a red flag, right? Because <laughs> a lot of people when like, I come at you on this it. show, I come with my reasons <laughs> and my facts and my rant. But right. I have done my research. <laughs> I, I think I think the argument was, you know, that people shouldn't use the exits to tell you what the demographic breakout is going to be because the exits I'm are actually incorrect. willing to go with that. Uh, well, we'll get to that. Fine, my exit poll rant. I don't, but. I don't think that that's the standard <laughs> that all pollsters use. I mean, it's no, a thing it's you should look at, but it's not really like industry standard to look at exits. I mean you know for for a variety of reasons but so that was an assumption that i felt was flawed and then like oh well we're you know basically like live calls are bad and not you know text and other ways other methods are 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 superior which is like you know i'm not i don't know if that's quite i should find the quote but i don't think that's quite 
the way you say it is. <laughs> well, in in the parlance of reality shows, he didn't come here to make friends. No. So that's fine. I don't know. It's fine. Whatever. We'll we'll know soon enough. We'll know soon enough. It's fine. Okay. Let's talk about what people think is going to happen. Yes. So we, your navigator poll and my echelon poll are both finding very similar things on this front, which makes me very nervous for how half of America is going to digest whatever happens on election night. So, I mean, we, we've asked quite a few questions about, you know, what they think is going to happen in both in the outcome and in accounting and all that, which are all interesting and useful. Um, So this was navigator, which is. It was monthly, then it was nightly. Now it's more like weekly, you know, work that uh, our firm has collaborated with uh, the firm Global Strategy Group. And so we asked a question about who you think is going to win. And a majority said Biden, 54% Biden, 46% said Trump. Um, Although you do see Republicans and Trump supporters as a percentage will seem a little bit more sure about their prediction than Democrats are, which is not a surprise. So 24% of folks, the same percent say they think Biden's definitely going to win as say Trump is definitely going to win. But, you know, that's a smaller percentage of total Biden supporters who say that, right? And among Democrats, 44% say they think Joe Biden's definitely going to win. Among Republicans, 52% say they think Trump is definitely going to win, which I thought, you know, I mean, that's just people trying to... Yep. This, this poll is showing more more confidence among yes. Democrats than what we at Echelon found in September. And, you know, back in September when we asked, it was Trump voters were very confident Trump would win. Biden voters, we had it at like 63 percent of Biden voters thought Biden would win. But then there was this like 25 percent that just said unsure. Like, we just don't know. Don't ask me. Ask me later. So I, I understand the... The emotional, like, I I just, I feel this deja vu. I feel like I'm watching this again. And I actually went on a, I I had a very brief Twitter thread. I probably should have turned this into a column, but oh well. It didn't require 800 words. It required, you know, 100. But it was basically that in 2016, as we noted in our pre-election 2016 episode, the polls were closing toward the end there. The data was not crystal clear that Hillary Clinton would win. There were plenty of ways to envision Trump winning. But I think at a certain level, emotionally, I just thought there's no way. And 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 me even less so because I'd already gone through the Republican primary where I spent that thinking there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. And then way it, it happened. But I think for especially for a lot of Democrats, there really was this there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. Now I almost feel like it's the opposite, that the data are telling us that Biden is in a very clear and commanding position, that the polls are not closing. And yet the way emotion is infiltrating the analysis this time around is not to dismiss the possibility of a Trump win, but rather to overestimate the possibility of being surprised because of what happened last time. Yeah, I think that is a fair reading of, you know, the public sentiment. And, you know, I, I, I don't but I don't know if that's actually changing anybody. I mean, is it changing coverage or decisions that people make? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's more of a like what what is happening on a person to person level. But also, you know, and this is not I don't think this is a new pattern particularly. But we asked, you know, in the among the people that, you know, how many of them are voting for the person you are not voting for. Right. And that very few people know 
someone who, you know, know a lot of people who are voting for a different candidate than they are, that people are in a circle where everybody, they, most people that they know are voting for the same person they are. And so that I think makes it harder for people to have a sense of like what the world looks like. And so they want to protect themselves from making sure they're not, you know, relying on their bubble as opposed to what the public says. But the other thing that I think is interesting is most people expect that we're not going to know the answer right away that two-thirds, and lots of polls have asked this, it say it's going to take longer than a day or so to know who won. Have you asked that? Have you seen that? That sounds about right to me. I mean, I feel like there has been so much discussion about this because early on when the pandemic hit and it became clear that many states were trying to spin up all of these, you know, new voting methods and what have you, that there was a lot of anxiety. Oh, no, on election night, people are going to be freaked out if there really isn't a tally and it's going to open the door for funny business. And I feel like the message has gotten through to people that at least in certain states, Pennsylvania, I'm looking at you, this might take a while. However, this also, I think, has interesting implications for how we think about the exit polls. But I will save my rant for after the break. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, you will get my exit poll rant as well as where Americans stand on whether They will be glad to see this election over. So stay tuned here on The Pollsters. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups, it would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, we're back. So Margie, you guys also asked a, a couple of questions about how people are thinking about the vote count itself. What did you find? Yeah, so this was... When I saw these results, I'm like, hey, this is like a feel-good story. And everyone was like, is it, is it really? And so, you know, we we asked. I think um, this is a glass half-empty result, yes, Margie. I'm exactly. not going to lie. <laughs> really? I, I, I saw it as 70% full, right? So we said, we asked a question. When it comes to the way states tally the presidential election results, this number, which is more important to you, that the results are entirely accurate, no matter who ultimately wins, or that your candidate, so either Trump, if you said you were a Trump voter, or Biden, if you said you were a Biden voter, ultimately wins, even if the results are not entirely accurate. And 70% roughly said it's more important to them that the results are accurate rather than that their own candidate wins, even if the results are not entirely accurate. But the good news story, the good news part of this is that there's not really that much of a difference between the two candidate supporters that Trump voters and Biden voters feel somewhat similarly about this. I I guess that 30 percent is high. It's 30 percent of Trump voters, 28 percent of Biden voters, essentially the same thing. 
I mean, I guess one could argue that that's a little on the high side, I suppose. But, you know, I think the good news is that there is bipartisan agreement here. <laughs> yes. So that it is very notable when you get any poll question these days where Trump voters and Biden voters split the same way. However, I the reason I look at this and I take it as a glass half empty is I'm also looking at it in the context of your earlier question about who do people think will win and Trump voters being very 55 percent think that Trump is definitely going to win and 45 some percent of Democrats thinking Biden is definitely going to win. I would be more interested in knowing among Trump voters, how would this break down if the options were Donald Trump ultimately wins, even if the results are not entirely accurate or the results are entirely accurate and Joe Biden wins? Given that choice, how would Trump voters feel? And flip that for Biden voters. If it was the results are entirely accurate and instead of it saying no matter who ultimately wins, say the results are entirely accurate and Donald Trump wins. Would they rather have Biden win in a fraudulent election or Trump winning in a valid one? I imagine for both parties, you would see those numbers change a little bit. Hmm. I think some of this is driven by the fact that both parties think if the election is handled fairly and accurately, their own side will win and it won't be an issue. And only one side is going to win. And that's going to be that's why I still get like a little queasy when I think about how is America going to digest this election? How's that for a feel good moment? That's not that doesn't feel good anymore. <laughs> I feel the way most of America feels, which they want this to be over. So you can feel at the same time, like we're not going to know right away. And that's OK. We should have an accurate count. And that's what is good. And you can feel that way, but also feel glad that it's going to be over 84 percent. Americans say they will be glad to see it all over. There is no difference between D's and R's. Somehow, 79 fewer independents say they're going to be glad. You have more independents who are like, I don't care. It's fine. I don't have strong feelings about whether or not it's going to be over. There are a handful of people who say, I will be sad to see it over. Who are the people who are going to be sad to see this election over? I don't know. I do love that independents even remain like kind of undecided on this question. I know. I know. Oh, independents, I love you. I, know, I love you right? so much. I know. I don't have strong feelings. It's fine. What election? Like that um that 2016 SNL about undecided voters are like who are the candidates and be specific. Like it's like I we're independent. We're undecided. We have some questions. Like who is running for president? Now, be specific. <laughs> <laughs> That's like these guys and gals. Yeah. So anyway, so people are excited to see it over. And honestly, I don't blame them. But if you are sick of looking at the polls and you want some other real world place to really get your information on what's going to happen, there is a bakery in Houston, Battleground State. The Three Brothers Bakery presidential cookie poll has accurately predicted the winner of the last three elections. I'm on the phone, buddy. Can you have pizza? Yeah. Why don't you? All right, I'll be right there. Yes. You have to leave this in, by the way. You're not allowed to take this out. Richard, don't take it out. (laughs) 
It's impossible. I can't. Like, I can't. This is I mean, what they come for, Margie. This is what our listeners want. They want they the real deal. Me. They never ask me, like, you know, hey, mom, I just want to see how's it going in here. Are you doing okay? Like, you know, how's your day? It's always like, I have this burning need, and we must answer it urgently. Um, like the time he ran in and said. Mom, what was that Pickles voice you did for that Pickles the Cat book we read once? Mom, <laughs> the whole class like waiting to hear what the answer was. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I'm, no. like, I'm imagining Will <laughs> no. Ferrell from Wedding Crashers. Like, Mom, meatloaf. <laughs> That's what it's like. It's. I mean, it never. It never ends. <laughs> I mean, I have like 400 of those a day, basically. Anyway. Um, well, what did the cookie poll say? The I cookie need to know. Poll, oh, I don't know. Okay, hold on. We got to click the link. <laughs> you could get. These are very nice. You know, it's like sugar cookies. So it, it looks like the Three Brothers Bakery presidential yes. cookie poll. They currently have Donald Trump in the lead over Joe Biden with a week to go. So, But you can vote twice, though. You can vote as many times as you want. You can, or you can just get as many cookies as you like. And Gingy, Gingy, Gingy is the third party. But this is the fourth one. Well, the Biden cookie looks so happy and the Trump cookie looks so angry. Like, it looks like the cookie is trying to eat you when you look at the... I mean... Whatever. Maybe there's like a metaphor in there somewhere. But there's also Hmm. I would note another um, predictor that is just as dubious. And that is that the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears have occasionally played football against one another. And in presidential election years, this trend has apparently tended to predict who would win the presidential election. So according to this ESPN article, since NFL realignment in 2002, the NFC North and the AFC South, they play every four years and it happens to be the same year as the presidential election. The winner of the Colts Bears game in the regular season always has predicted this uh, result. But I say always, this is just like a handful of times. Um, In 2004, the Colts won and Bush won the election. In 2008, the Bears won and Obama won. 2012, the Bears won and Obama won. 2016, the Colts won and Trump won. And I regret to inform you, Margie. I regret to inform you that I believe the Indianapolis Colts won this year. Yes, 19 to 11. They played on October 4th. Yeah, so... We'll just put that out there. The cookie poll, Trafalgar, and the Colts Bears games all given us the same data. Okay, well, take what about that, Gary Langer at ABC Washington right. Post? Right, and Alan Lick or the Alan Lichtman, you know, thirteen keys. And maybe the keys need to include. Did I say yes to Beckett? So I was just passed a note. Did you say yes to Beckett eating pizza at Joe and Isleen's house? Yes, I did. Sure, I didn't know he was leaving the house, but honestly, it's fine. <laughs> I enjoyed that you were given a mail survey. A, I was a like, ballot I can't, fill out. I'm on the phone. Write it down. And so here is the note that I got. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so 13 key, you know, Alan Lickman, Professor Alan Lickman and his, you know, 13 keys of like, are the candidates charismatic and, you know, is, has there been social unrest and so on? And we can add like, have people bought, you know, more cookies you can buy those cookies online if you feel like d- desperate need to change the outcome from wherever you are or did the colts oh win <laughs> uh, there's always been like 
I'm, I'm not really following any sports as as usual, right? But there's always like some kind of layer of sports that somehow, like if this team wins, people feel that's somehow going to be helpful for one candidate or another. But it doesn't seem like that's happening. But I could be wrong. Now Halloween's coming up, and people are going are spending more on. They're going two thirds of people will participate in trick or treating, but people are going to be sp saying Halloween is more important than ever, and they're doing more Halloween decorations which i think how are you tackling the trick-or-treating during a pandemic question this seems like of all the various pandemic parenting challenges of which there are obviously lots um <laughs> this one i feel like we can manage so some people are building shoots or some kind of elaborate thing out of their house or like like a clothesline where they can like put out or, or, or putting out tongs and gloves, which seems, you know, all those seem a little bit elaborate. I think if you just leave your candy out for like a day before and then the honor system, that seems fine. Then we have a list going of who in the neighborhood is participating, which, you know, I, which is, you know, helpful. And then we're going to have a little like informal parade because the Tacoma Park Halloween parade, which is a very big thing, event of the year in our town that has been canceled but we're having like an informal march around the neighborhood parade anyway it's going to be fine it's going to be the same they're not they're going to be just fine oh, there's good. tons of candy and they're going to dress up and they can't really walk that much farther than two blocks anyway without complaining so it'll be fine well before we go and before we wrap this very special reunion episode of the pollsters i would be remiss if I did not engage in my every two-year favorite activity, my annual or biannual rant about the exit polls. Yes. Dear friends, everybody sit down, take a deep breath, and listen close. On election day, there is going to be data floating out there in Twitter, in the ether, and it's going to tell you, oh my gosh, Donald Trump is up by six in Pennsylvania. Everybody freak out. Oh my gosh. I just heard that Joe Biden is up by three in Florida. Oh, my gosh. Everybody freak out. Stop. Do not freak out. Do not pass go. Do not listen to any of that data, because here's the deal. First of all, this year is going to be a little different. There are two different exit polls. There is the national exit poll that is conducted by Edison Research. That is the pool of most of the networks, CBS, etc., that is the data that from time to time people will leak it early and you should not listen to it early because it is only good once it has been weighted back to precinct data. And precinct data is not coming out till Election Day. So early exit polls are garbage, not because exit polls are garbage, but because they require inputs that are not yet available until the polls close. So any exit poll number you are looking at before the polls close or early in the night, please don't. Just please don't. I remember four years ago being at ABC and the early exit polls had us all set up for like, wow, the Latino vote has powered Hillary Clinton into the White House. And I don't know if you all recall, but that's not exactly how 2016 turned out. So early exit polls resist the temptation. If you see them come up on Twitter, Margie, what do we do if early exit polls come up in our Twitter feed? We eat do, raw bacon. Delicious raw bacon. share them. Yes. The analogy is that it's like bacon. Or like a sourdough uh, loaf. It needs to rise. You just need to let it sit there. you Watch eat it. raw sourdough, you'll be so sick. It'll so be disgusting. Sick. You won't enjoy Gross. it. Don't do that. Wait until it's done baking and then it will be 
delicious. And then if you are watching the AP data online or if you are watching Fox, um, by the way, if you are a listener and you watch Fox News, you go for it, knock yourself out. If you are a listener and Fox News is not your particular flavor of news consumption, here's the good news. I'm going to be on Fox broadcast on election night. I am going up to New York, me, Bill Hemmer, a handful of other folks. We are going to be doing the 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 broadcast that goes to your local Fox station. So if you've wanted to watch me on TV for whatever reason, I don't know why you would, but if you did, but you just Fox News isn't your thing, um, you can also now see me on election night on Fox broadcast. Margie, are you? What station do you have, will Wally be on? So Wally, well, depending on whether DC <laughs> can stay off the New York State quarantine list, Wally may be coming up to New York <laughs> with me because the hotel we get to stay in allows dogs. And I'm a little skittish about getting on the train. So me, my husband, my dog, we were thinking about making a family trip of it. But Maryland and Virginia are both states that have COVID numbers that are too high. So if you show up in New York and you're from Maryland or Virginia, you can't leave the hotel room at all unless you're an essential worker, which for some unknown reason, I am considered an essential oh, worker I'm a for, <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, for these purposes. But, no. but Chris would be confined no. to his hotel room with yes. Wally and that just would be bad. But D.C. is not on that list as of like right before we started taping this podcast. So every day I'm checking that list, like, come on, DC, do not be a COVID risk. Do not make us quarantine. I want to go out and see New York. Please, please, please. Uh, Socially distanced and with masks, by the way, I will add. But yeah, so that's what I'm doing on election night. We will, for Fox and the AP, we'll be using AP VoteCast, um, which is Fox and AP's partnership to do surveying a little bit differently pre-election. So the questions might be different. The results might be different. So maybe flip around. Watch a couple different channels. But catch me with Bill Hemmer. It'll be a ton of fun. We always flip around. So we will definitely be doing that. I, before we do key findings, I do want to say, like, I'm just, you know, this has been such an obviously tough year for everybody. I miss doing focus groups in person and talking to voters like it's I mean, I've done Zoom focus groups and we've done all kinds of other things, but I miss just sitting around the table and talking to people and, you know, having those personal interactions. I miss that. The, the you know, the business travel, even I even miss the traveling part. Um, and so I miss all of that. And I miss seeing my coworkers in person, all my wonderful, like the wonderful folks on my team. So all of the Democratic folks out there who have been working incredibly hard on all these races, not just the presidential, but the presidential included, and all the other presidential candidates and, and everywhere else people have been. So um, there is one more week, and I'm just thinking of all of you and really miss, like, seeing everybody at, you know, hotel ballrooms and, you know, gals night. Like, it's just, it's tough. So I am looking forward to when we get through all this, but at least the first step is getting through this election. I, like... 84% of Americans will be glad when it's over, for sure. Um, the key findings, don't be a poll watcher. Be a poll worker or a poll goer or a poll volunteer. Um, and if you are in Tacoma Park, we have a mayoral election, and you need to vote in a separate place from where the federal election is. It's not the same voting location. So if you are... It's a long story. So if you are voting for the Tacoma Park mayoral race, you've got to go someplace else. You have to go to the community center, okay? All right. When y'all have time in the off year, can you please 
Help me to talk about this. I need to get unlocked for my Twitter account. We can talk about it after the election. But it, it's I have to use the pollsters because for some reason I got kicked out of Margie O'Mara. And um, and we miss you. That's my key finding. We miss you. We, we miss, miss you re- so much. We miss our and listeners. Margie, thank you for coming back and doing this reunion episode with me. It has been a total delight to catch up with you and to dig into this data one more time before the election. I hope that we can go back and listen to this post-election and feel good about our takes instead of sobbing into a microphone and wondering if our industry will exist. I'm never never listening to this again, regardless. No matter what happens. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters and at Anderson because... Again, Jack Dorsey, one, shave your beard, two, unlock Margie's old account. (laughs) You can also, uh, well, you can find us however you found us here. I'm not entirely sure what our web presence still looks like, but uh, we are always present in your hearts. Thanks. Bye.